John chapter 14, please. John 14, beginning with verse 1. John 14, 1. Let not your let, sorry. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We've had a series of lessons this year by various men of the congregation. The theme has been following the Lamb wherever He goes. Tonight is the final lesson in that series, following, the, following Jesus into glory. We're going to talk about heaven, where Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us. Hebrews 9 says, It's appointed to man once to die, and after that the judgment. Jesus said the judgment at the end of time will be like shepherd, a shepherd separating the sheep from the goats. For each of us it will be heaven or hell. If we truly follow Jesus, we will follow him into glory. If you would turn to Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 11. Matthew 5, 11. It's Jesus speaking, of course. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you, and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And then one chapter over in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break, through and break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. If our treasure is laid up in heaven, we can rejoice even in persecution. In heaven, by God's grace, we receive the reward for faithful service in this life. In Hebrews chapter 6, God tells us that He wants us to show us abundantly that His counsel is immutable, unchanging. His promises cannot fail. Because of that, we can have strong consolation when we go to Him. In John chapter 6, verse 39, we read, This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all He has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of Him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in Him may have everlasting life, and I will raise Him up at the last day. Here we see that there will be a last day when the Son that we live under has risen and set for the final time. The earth will be destroyed, and that is the end, when all the dead will be resurrected for the final judgment, and living saints will be caught up to meet Jesus. And as Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 4.17, Thus we shall always be with the Lord. For faithful servants of God, there will be a new heaven and earth, where we will live in our new bodies. We know that our new bodies will be spiritual bodies. They will be like our physical bodies in some ways, and unlike them in other ways. We won't know exactly what they will be until we get there, but they will be real bodies. 1 John 3.2 says, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. The new heaven and earth is our ultimate goal. It's what we mean by going to heaven. 
it would be enough for us to know about heaven that it's not hell, and enough for us to know about hell that it's not heaven. But we know a lot more than that. Sometimes we think of spiritual beings as ghostly, ethereal things, ghosts even, uh, with no real substance. There's no reason for us to think of spiritual life like that. We probably think the spiritual, probably think that now because the spiritual world is invisible to us. But just because you can't see something doesn't mean it isn't there. For thousands of years, people knew nothing about microorganisms because they couldn't see them. Uh, talk, talk of tiny creatures living inside of us would have sounded like a fairy tale, probably. But scientists say that our body contains about as many bacteria as it does human cells, and it would be difficult or impossible for us to live without them. Just like microorganisms, the fact that we can't see spirits right now doesn't make them not real or any less real. In fact, the spiritual world is not less real than the physical world, it is more real. The spiritual world existed before the physical world was created, and it will exist after the physical universe is destroyed. I can't remember where I heard this particular illustration, but I like it. <clears throat> Suppose the people in a comic strip were actually alive. Uh, they live in a two-dimensional world, confined to a flat page or screen. Everything they can see and feel and touch and interact with exists in that comic strip, in that single plane. They can't see that the comic strip exists in a world of newspapers and computers and cell phones. In the same way, um, our world is part of a larger spiritual world. We don't normally see the spiritual dimension, but God and sometimes other spirits can interact with our world. When they do, they're not usually subject to the normal laws of physics. Look at Colossians chapter 3, beginning of verse 1. Colossians 3, 1. If then you are raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. One point of a lesson like this is to get us to think about heaven more. We need to set our minds on things above. If we're faithful Christians, our thoughts of heaven should be hope. In modern English, we use the word hope rather loosely to mean wish, basically, as in I hope it won't rain next weekend, or I hope my team will win a football game or something like that. But Bible hope is not just wishing. Bible hope is desire and expectation. Um, what's the rule that God uses to describe uh, the effect of the gospel in the world, the rule of nature? Sowing and reaping. A farmer sows in hope of the harvest. He would not sow seed in a field unless he expected it to yield at harvest time. We see this in Galatians chapter 6, beginning in verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. If we live as faithful Christians, we can not only desire heaven, we can expect it. Not because we are so good, but because God is faithful to his promises. If you would turn over to 1 John verse, uh, chapter 5, rather, 1 John 5. God is faithful to his promises. 
If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God which he has testified of his Son. He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his Son. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Many years ago, when I was young, uh, there was a popular song called Anticipation. You may remember it if you're as old as I am. Um, we like to anticipate good things. Sometimes we anticipate small things like a particular meal or sleeping late on a Saturday. Sometimes we anticipate big things like graduation, marriage, or the birth of a child. Um, you may have things coming up in life that you're anticipating even now. Do we anticipate heaven? Job did. Job said in Job chapter 19, beginning of verse 26, After my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see, see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another, how my heart yearns within me. And Paul anticipated heaven. In Philippians 1, 22, But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit for my labor. Yet what I shall choose I cannot tell. For I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to, be de to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Paul also talks about athletes striving for victory. They have a goal. Olympic athletes compete for a gold medal. They dedicate their whole lives to being they can be the best they can be at a sport, because they think about what it will be like to win. We need to anticipate heaven, to think about the prize, to think about the reward, so that we will strive like an athlete to complete our course. First time I know of in the Bible where a reward after this life is mentioned is in Genesis chapter 5, beginning in verse 22. After he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Clearly the implication here is that Enoch was rewarded by God for being a faithful servant. He walked with God. Instead of dying in the usual way, God took him to live with him. That's the most important part of the Christian's reward in heaven. We will live with God. Revelation 21.3 says, I will be their God, and they will be my people. This promise is fulfilled for us now, but it will be more completely filled for us, fulfilled for us in heaven. And then in Jude, verse 24, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Our reward is not only to be in the presence of God, but to be with him in another sense. He is able to present us faultless, completely forgiven. We will be in his presence and worship him and be fully at peace with him. We will not have any more sin to interfere with our relationship with him. We will finally be what we were created to be. In Revelation 22, we have this description of heaven, and parts of it remind us very much of the Garden of Eden, the Garden of God, a time when everything was good and perfect and right. Revelation 22, beginning in verse 1. And he showed me a pure river of water, the water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. 
The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there, they need no lamp, nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Paul said he wanted to be with Christ. We will be with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's critical that we think about heaven and earnestly hope for it. How are we going to take up our cross every day if we don't think about heaven every day? Being with God in heaven would be enough, certainly, but that is not all we're promised. We will be with each other, with other faithful, faithful servants of God. In Matthew chapter 22, beginning in verse 31, But concerning the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Then in Matthew chapter 8, beginning in verse 11, And I say to you that many will come from the east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Do you have any specific people in the Bible that you'd like to meet in heaven? You'd like to sit down with? Maybe Abraham, Moses, Ruth, Job, Daniel? Will we ask Daniel to tell us the story of the lion's den? Will we talk to Elijah about his confrontation with the prophets of Baal? Of course, more importantly to us, we have people that we know personally that we're looking forward to seeing again. We believe we will see them again so we don't sorrow as those who have no hope. Seems like there's more and more of those all the time as we've just been reminded of this week. What's the greatest of God's commandments? Love Jehovah God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. As Christians, we have to work at this, don't we? But in heaven, we will love God in a way not possible now. We will love each other in a way not possible now. That means we will be loved by fellow saints in a way much better than even now. In heaven, we will be able to relate to each other without fear, without embarrassment, without selfishness, without pride. Let's look at John 14 again. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, and if it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. What does Jesus promise us in this passage? He's going to prepare a place for us. In that place, we will be with him in his Father's house. What he has prepared for us in his Father's house is a mansion, at least in the New King James, a home of our own. What does the figure of a home or a house suggest to us, or a mansion? First, I think we're looking for our own place where we will feel completely at home. In this life, we have places that we live, and sometimes we feel very much at home in them, and sometimes we don't. We may go back to a house or town where we remember feeling at home, but it might not feel like home so much anymore. In our place in heaven, we will always feel at home. Another thing we associate with home is security. If we lived in the frontier days, it might be security from wild animals, you know, build a house to protect us from the outside elements. But in our heavenly home, there will be perfect security because there won't be any evil to threaten us. In heaven, our homes will not decay. In this life, the home we live in is subject to moths, rust, mildew, and weather. 
The paint fades, the heating and air conditioning stop working, the roof leaks. There won't be any of that in heaven. The most important thing we associate with home, I think, is family. In heaven, we'll be at home with God, our Father, Jesus, the firstborn among many brethren, and our brothers and sisters from every time and every nation. Look at Hebrews chapter 11, beginning of verse 13. Hebrews 11, 13. Talking about those great heroes of faith that he's just been mentioning in, birth, in chapter 11. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. When we travel to another state or another country, there's something very nice about getting back to our home area, isn't there? Some, the place we live. Familiar scenery, familiar roads, familiar neighborhoods. We don't have to spend time thinking about where we are. We're comfortable. But Christians are not spiritually comfortable in this world, are we? We don't know what somebody's about to do at any time. Temptations of one kind or another spring up, hurting us or our loved ones. But we have a real homeland, a heavenly country, where that will not be the case. Like the faithful servants of God before us, we see God's promises afar off. We are assured of them, and we embrace them. Another thing that there will be in heaven is rest. Revelation chapter 14 beginning of verse 12, here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works follow them. The idea of rest appears a lot in the Old Testament. God created the world in six days, and on the seventh day he rested from his labors, from his work of creation, rather. He used this pattern to give the Israelites the law of the Sabbath, resting on the seventh day of the week. Adam was giving the work of tending the Garden of Eden, which was a good thing. But after Adam and Eve sinned, work got much more difficult. Genesis 3.17, then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life both thorns and thistles that shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat, shall eat the, herb, the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, so you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Because of the fall, life is difficult. We get tired, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Life is tiring for everyone, but as Christians, walking the difficult narrow road sometimes wears on us. We tire from facing temptations, we tire from guilt, from not knowing the right thing to do all the time, from worrying about people. But in heaven we'll rest from all of that. Matthew chapter 11, beginning in verse 27, says, All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. Nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and the one to whom the Son reveals to, to, wills to reveal him. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. 
Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, please. Verse 3, 2 Corinthians 1, 3. Another thing we're going to find in heaven is comfort. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Again, God comforts us now, but in heaven we will be completely comforted. Job 14.1 says, Man who is born of woman is few of days and full of trouble. In this life, difficult days will come. They may come as commonly happens to people, described in Ecclesiastes 12, in the form of health problems related to age. But they may come sooner. Young people sometimes get very serious health problems. Difficult days may be because a family member's health is failing, or because of spiritual problems or financial problems. But there won't be any difficult days in heaven, and we will be comforted for the difficult days of our lives. Revelation 21, beginning in verse 3, And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. In heaven we will be comforted. There will be no more death, sorrow, crying, or pain. And there is the personal promise that God himself will wipe away every tear from our eyes like a loving parent with his child. Heaven will be a place of unimaginable beauty. We all like beauty. God has given us an appreciation for beauty. I grew up with film cameras, like a lot of us did. Uh, but nowadays, everybody just takes pictures with their phones, right? Some people also like to draw or paint. Some people sculpt. Some compose or play music or sing. We want to capture some of the beauty around us and create beauty with it. We will sometimes go to great effort and uh, expense to see beautiful things in the world. A lot of times it's God's beautiful creation, mountains and oceans and lakes and forests. Sometimes it's beautiful buildings and cities. Why do we do that? Because we imagine how great it will be to see it. Ecclesiastes 1.8 says, The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. And we, you know, we could think of that, that could be a bad thing if you're never satisfied, but it's also just a fact that human beings like to see beauty. We like to hear beauty. Uh, and that, really, that desire helps point us to heaven because it's going to be a beautiful place. The Bible begins with the beauty of Eden. God said, let there be light. If you think about the light of a full moon or a sunrise or a sunset or a clear sunny day in the fall, these are beautiful things. Then he made the beauty of plants, trees, sea creatures, animals. Finally, he made people. Our bodies are beautiful in the way they're designed to work. And, but the, um, far beyond that, we had the beauty of the image of God in each person. He had a beautiful relationship with these people he made in his image. Revelation 21.10 says, He carried me away in the Spirit to a great and high mountain, and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. In the scriptures, we have various descriptions of the throne of God and of heaven. These descriptions of heaven are very figurative, not very literal. But they are beautiful and awe-inspiring. 
The real beauty that they represent, though, will be far greater than the figures. God uses the things of this world to picture the beauty of heaven because that's what helps us understand it. We know the things of this world. Heaven will not be, literally be a city of pure gold with jewels on the foundations of the walls, but much brighter, much purer, much more precious. Revelation 22:3, And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. The most beautiful thing we will see in heaven is God himself. We will see his face, the face of the God who is love. In heaven there will be victory. 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 51. 1 Corinthians 15, 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has, been, has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of the sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ, God gives us the victory over sin now, but in heaven we will have the ultimate victory. We know, that victory is, we, we know what victory is like when our team wins a championship or a tournament or World Series or something like that. But victory over Satan and sin will be far beyond that. It would be more like a victory in war. We are in a real spiritual war with real enemies. Principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this age, spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. You may have seen pictures of the celebration when World War II was over. There were parades, the streets were full of people celebrating victory. Victory in war would mean no more family members going off to fight and some not returning. It would mean no more fear of the enemy. It would mean triumph, that the enemy had been vanquished. In heaven we will experience God's complete victory over Satan, sin, disease, corruption, death, and evil of every kind. In the book of Revelation we see the victory of Jesus over evil and the victory that he gives us. Chapter 19 of Revelation, beginning in verse 1, I'm sorry, beginning in verse 11. Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp, sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress wine press of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now let's turn over to 2 Corinthians 4, beginning in verse 16. 2 Corinthians 4, 16. Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, 
While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. In heaven there is glory. Not in this case the glory of God, but our own glory. A glory such that whatever affliction we face in this life is light compared to the weight of glory that waits us in heaven. People receive glory in this life for musical talent, athletic accomplishments, curing diseases. But we're not talking about glory from other people. We're talking about glory from God. Matthew 25, 21 says, His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. To hear our Creator say to us, Well done, will be glory beyond our ability to imagine. Paul said that the suffering of this life is light compared to the eternal weight of glory. Is Paul saying that the suffering in this life is not really very bad? No. 2 Corinthians 11, beginning in verse 24, From the Jews five times I received forty stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toils, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. No, Paul is not saying that life is easy or that our suffering here is not bad. Rather, the glory that we experience in heaven is so great that no matter how bad things are in this life, they will seem as a light affliction compared to the glory that we will experience in eternity with God. This lesson is called Following the Lamb into Glory. Where do we get the expression into glory? Luke 24, 26 is one place. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? We, like Jesus, suffer these things and then enter into glory. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 24. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, the mystery which has been hidden from the ages and from the generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of his mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. If we are following Jesus, we will see the fruits of the Spirit growing within us, even if it's happening much more slowly than we might like. As we see Christ in us, in our faith, in the fruits of the Spirit, we have more and more reason to desire and to expect that God, what, sorry, the glory that God promises to his faithful servants. In the promises of Jesus in letters to the churches of Asia in Revelation 2 and 3, they are full of glory. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat, and I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. He will rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessel, as I also have received from my Father. And I will give him the morning star. 
He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. In heaven there will be joy. 1 Peter 4.13 says, But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Not just joy, but undiluted joy, exceeding joy. In this life, we can be very joyful at times, but many times in life, uh, joy is mixed with sadness. In heaven, that won't be so. We've already talked about some of the things that will produce joy in heaven, living with God, living with other servants of God, being at home, comfort, rest, victory, and glory. John chapter 16, beginning of verse 19. Now Jesus knew that they desired to ask him, and he said to them, Are you inquiring among yourselves about what I said? A little while, and you will see me. And again a little while, and you will... Sorry. A little while, and you will not see me. And again a little while, and you will see me. Most assuredly, I say to you that, that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. And you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned to joy. Jesus was talking about the joy that his disciples would have when they saw him after his resurrection. Some of them, maybe all of them, had seen him die. They had seen what the Romans had done to his body. Imagine their joy when they saw him alive again. Imagine our joy when we see him. The God that we have been reading about and worshiping and trying to serve, we see him in person. And it will not be a dream or a vision like Ezekiel or Daniel had. It will be as real as us looking at each other right now. There's an experience with joy that you have probably had. You're doing something fun or meaningful, and you enjoy it. But you get more joy from watching the joy that it gives to somebody else. In heaven, we will not only enjoy these things ourselves. We'll see our fellow saints healed and comforted and joyful. Do you want to go to heaven? fact that you're here tonight is probably a good indication that you do. Do you expect to? I hope so. If we believe the Bible, then we can know that we are beings who will exist when this universe is gone. Houses and cars and trees and mountains and stars are temporary things, but we are not. We know that our earthly life is a vapor that appears for a little while and vanishes away. We are timeless spirits living in a temporary body for a short time. We know that, but it's hard to feel that sometimes. All we can see with our eyes is life under the sun. If we're going to endure, we have to see with our imagination, heaven and its rewards. Faithful Christians, faithful Christians should not be walking around every day in fear of hell. We should be walking around in anticipation of heaven. We do fear God, but the rightful fear that we have of God's wrath should keep us on the path of righteousness so that we have a real hope of heaven. Titus chapter 2, beginning in verse 11, says, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should be, live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. What's going to enable us to live, to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts, and live soberly, righteously, and godly? It's looking for and looking forward to the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible describes life as a walk. Enoch walked with God and was not. 
Jesus said that we will walk the difficult, narrow path that leads to life, or the broad, easy path that leads to destruction. If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from our sins. Walking in the light doesn't mean that we never sin, but that is our aim. It also doesn't mean that we live in some sin without repentance. What it does mean is that our practice, our way of life, is to be obedient to God. 1 John 3, 7 says, Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. If we practice righteousness, if we live by faith, if we walk in the light of God's word, then we maintain the right relationship with God. As we walk here under the sun, for any one of us, the next step might not be under the sun. We might pick up one foot here and put it down in eternity. If we are faithful servants of God, we will rejoice that our journey is complete. If you're not a Christian, I hope thinking about what God has promised his faithful servants in heaven will make you want to obey the gospel. If you are a Christian, but you know that you're not living as a faithful servant of God, think about the rewards that await you if you repent and begin following Jesus again. In John chapter 17, Jesus prayed for us, beginning in verse 20. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you that they all also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. I and them, and you and me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me, and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me. For you love me before the foundation of the world. If we can help you in any way, in your service to God, please come forward as we stand and sing.